would you please stand as we read the word? First <clears throat> Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ann. Where do you begin when you're starting off a new church? You know, we, um, we had this idea that there needs to be more churches in Pasco. And so um, why, why would we go about doing this? And, and the answer is right here, right in this passage, that um, this is, this is um, a central truth uh, that we all need to be reminded of. But it's also what our community desperately needs to hear, and we need to continue um, passing this message on. So um, before I dive in, let's, let's just pray. Our Father, uh, we come before you, Lord, grateful for the amazing truth that is recorded in this passage. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for how clearly Paul laid it out for us and for the amazing implications of this for us. Lord, we are so grateful that you did not leave us to our own devices. But Lord, you have loved us. You've loved us since before you even made the world. You've pursued us. You have sought to reconcile us to yourself. And so, God, we are so grateful, Lord, that you, you did pursue us. And I pray, Father, this morning that as we consider the good news that's recorded here, Lord, that we would think carefully about these things. Lord, that we would reflect on your message for us, that it would be more than just words on a paper, more than just things that we think about in an academic sense, but Lord, may these things impact our hearts. Um, Lord, bring us close to you this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 15 here, um, this is talking about the most important event in human history. Okay, that is not an exaggeration. That's actually exactly what Paul says as we begin here. And so let's just look at what he says. We're just going to walk through this and see what Paul is saying in this message. And he's speaking to the church in Corinth, and there was obviously a question regarding the truth of this message. And so he's going to take some time 
and anchor them and us in this, this truth of the gospel. So he says, now I would remind you, brothers, so it's a reminder, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, what he's doing for us is he's, he's reminding them, you've heard this message before. This is, this is not the first time you've heard this message. I've preached it to you. Others have preached this message to you. You know these things. And yet he feels the need to bring it up again. Okay? And he says that th- this message is powerful. This message has the ability to save you unless one of two things happens. Unless they don't hold fast to the faith, right? If they wander away from the faith, that's one possibility. The other possibility is what he says here, this little phrase, unless you believed in vain. Now, what he's saying with that little phrase, he's, he's not saying unless you didn't have faith. What he's actually saying, I think the New Living Translation kind of does a, a nice job kind of clarifying this one. It says, Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. That's the gist of what this is getting at, right? Unless you believed, you genuinely believed, but it wasn't true, right? Unless your faith was more or less worthless because none of this was actually right. And so that's what he's getting at. What if this message is not true? What if this is, is, is all false? And we know, I mean, there's, there's lots of... Uh, disseminators of false information out there, right? There's false information in the world around us. And Paul doesn't want to mess around with this. He says this is very important. We need to know if this is true. And the gospel is rooted in historical facts. And so he wants to get to the basis of whether these claims are true. Is this actually true? Um, In another place in the Bible, the apostle Peter says something similar. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made, to you, made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. That's 2 Peter 1.16. So either these claims are true or they're not. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's focused entirely on this, this question of whether it's true. So if you, if you went to your doctor and your doctor's about to perform heart surgery, you want to make good and sure he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) I'd like a second and a third opinion, please. Um, When your pilot is about to land the airplane, you want to make sure he's he's doing it the right way, right? You don't want him making it up on on the fly there. You want him to know exactly what he's doing. Um, These claims have eternal implications for us. And so Paul's saying, this is, this is important. We need to get this right. We need to make sure we have a, a clear picture here. And then he goes on in verse 3 and, and makes this statement. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That little phrase there is really interesting. As of first importance. With no qualifications. <laughs> it is the most important thing. Period. If this is true, then it affects everything else for us, right? If, in fact, the gospel is true, then we should build our lives around this message. 
It's that important. If it's not true, well then go home. Why are you sitting here? You know, it's kind of muggy this morning. It's a little warm. Um, you, could, you could sleep in, air conditioning, whatever. Um, why would we spend so much time on this? It's because it's as of first importance. And so what Paul goes on to say in the verses that follow is that the gospel addresses our greatest need. And so he goes on from here, verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time with those five words. Christ died for our sins. And I want to walk through that. Um, that is the, the gospel message, by the way. If, if you're looking for the gospel neatly, simply defined, start with those five words. Christ died for our sins. And what I want to do is, is I think it's important to think through these things, define terms. I, w- I want to walk backwards through that. We're going to start with the, the last word there, sins. And I want to talk about how the Bible defines sin, because it's very different from how our culture defines sin, right? So the Bible defines sin as a failure to conform to the moral law of God. It could be in our actions. It could be in our attitudes. Um, there, there's a sense in which it's, it's our, in our very being, our nature, Um, But in its most basic sense, sin is rebellion against God. So God tells us not to eat from a certain tree in the garden, and we do it anyway. He tells us not to lie or steal or lust. We do it anyway. He tells us not to worship other gods. We do it anyway. He tells us to love our neighbor, and then we don't. Right. So at its core, sin is rebellion against God. Um, It's completely about... Um, opposing God and his commands. And so it's a rejection of him as the one who ought to have authority over us. He is our creator. He is our, the Bible says he's the king of kings. And yet we reject that authority in our lives. Um, Even though his ways are perfectly wise and good and loving, good for us, sin is a rejection of that. Now, that's not how our culture defines sin. Um, Much of our culture has just rejected the idea of God outright. And so if you don't have a God, then you don't really have any kind of firm foundation for what's right and wrong, right? And so there really isn't, there isn't exactly a category for sin in the culture around us. Um, It's exactly what we read at the end of the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, Remember that little phrase at the very end? It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's modern-day America. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They're not doing wrong. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. This is the best thing for them. Um, And when we consider the things that plague our modern age, I mean, there's a lot of things you could point to. Rampant drug use, sexual immorality, Um, You could point to gun violence and the breakdown of the family and just lots of things. So much of that comes from just having this kind of sliding scale of what's right and wrong, right? Everybody's just doing their own thing, right? And for me, this is the right thing. And for you, that's the right thing. And so as a result, it's just just confusion. Uh, One author pointed out, we live in a time when six of the seven deadly sins are medical conditions. And pride is considered a virtue. Um, that's the problem. Our culture has no idea 
what sin is or why it even matters. And so we, I think, living in this culture need to be reminded of what sin is. We're, we're just surrounded by it. We're swimming in it. We don't even realize it sometimes. And it, and it does influence us. And I think, I think I've been prone at times to, to sort of downplay it. Well, it's just a little bit, right? But no, no, it's, it's an offense to a holy God. It is rebellion against our Maker. And so we need to be reminded of what sin is and not go along with the culture, not buy into this idea of like, ah, it's, you know, it's okay for me or you or whatever. But no, recognize like there is a standard. Um, One thing that's really interesting to me is that every single book of the Bible talks about sin. Every single one. It's a unifying theme through the whole Bible. Um, There aren't many things that you can say every single book of the Bible talks about this. Um, God shows up. Actually, in the book of Esther, God isn't explicitly mentioned, although he's behind the scenes there. Um, But there aren't many things that you can point to. Every single book of the Bible talks about it, but sin is one of those. And so it's a big deal. It's a a central issue um, all the way through. Um, Oftentimes in our present age, people are inclined to think that our greatest need, the thing that we really need help with, is like more education or or wealth, or opportunity, or something like that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our greatest need, the thing that we most need, is to have this sin issue resolved. We are at war with God, and that has to be resolved somehow. Um, The second word, working backwards through here, Christ died for our sins, is our. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable, because it's really easy for me to talk about someone else's sins. (laughs) But this says our sins. And it doesn't say sin in general, like some general condition. It says sins, plural, the things that we actually do. Our sins. You know, there's a a line in politics, classic line, that says mistakes were made, which is just a great way of passing the buck, you know. Who made these mistakes? What were these mistakes? Uh, Mistakes were made. The gospel does not let us do that. We, we don't get to downplay or pass the buck or pretend it's someone else. These are our sins. Um, we have to accept fault in this. Um, I have pursued what God says is wrong, and I have missed the mark of what he says is right. And I have lived, again, lived in rebellion against the God who made me, and you have too. And that's, that's where... When we get to that place, when we recognize that, then we're ready for the rest of the story, right? So the next word is for, for our sins, and and for in the sense of dealing with our sins. And the reason our sins need to be dealt with is that in offending a holy God, we are setting ourselves up for judgment, right? There is judgment coming as a result of our sins, and every one of us tends to think this way. I, I think we, it's just like built into us. We tend to think, you know, if I've done more good than bad, it's going to be okay, right? And, and I think this starts from like early childhood, you know, like I broke the vase, so I'm going to be really nice to mom, you know, or something like that. Um, it's just built in that we're trying to like balance the ledger 
But the reality is, is our sin is an offense to God Himself, and we're never going to be able to pay for that on our own because of what Romans 6.23 says. It says that the wages of sin is death. And so the penalty that we are owing is our very lives. Um, And so that has to be dealt with. And so that brings us to the next word. Christ died for our sins, died. Um, In the Old Testament, and really throughout all all of human history and various places in the world, um, people have sacrificed to animals. They did this to atone or cover over their sins. It was actually God who set this up way back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, they sinned against God, they ate from the fruit, and they recognize they're, they're naked and they're scared, and so they cover themselves up with fig leaves. And God comes along, and he replaces the fig leaves with animal skins. You know where you get animal skins from? Get them from animals. Yeah, this is... We, we, we're, we're tracking here. Okay, so um, God was really the first one to portray for them what animal sacrifice looked like. He set the standard, and it was a picture of what was to come later. Um, the, the problem, though, is that, um, you know, each one of us, every one of us, is more valuable, and, and our lives are more meaningful than a sheep or a goat or a bull or whatever animal, a bird or something, right? Our lives are so much more valuable because the Bible says we were made in the very image of God himself. And so that, that sheep or that goat or whatever was sacrificed was covering over the sin, but it wasn't really dealing with the issue because it wasn't one for one, right? There's a much deeper problem here. So what we need is something really, really specific, Okay. So what we need is we need someone who perfectly bears the image of God whose ledger isn't already full, right? Because someone could die in my place, but if they already have their ledger full, then they can't cover my cost because they've got their own cost to pay for. So what we need, very specifically, we need someone who is perfectly bearing the image of God and who is perfectly sinless to willingly give their life to cover our sins, And that leads us to that last phrase, or that last word there, Christ. Christ died for our sins. So Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God. He bears the image of God exactly as it's intended to be. And that word Christ means anointed one, chosen one. It's the one that God selected for this purpose. And so we read Hebrews 4.15, for instance, says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. And so his ledger wasn't full. He's able to do this for us. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died for our sins took upon himself the price that we needed to pay, um, reconciled us to God, 
because of God's great love for us. So we have this amazing thing, and maybe you've heard this before, but justice and mercy meet at the cross where God's perfect standard is, is accomplished, but then his amazing love and mercy is realized. And so John 3.16, you've, you've maybe heard this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so the, the death of Christ is this amazing expression of that reality. Christ died for our sins. He took care of our greatest problem. It wasn't the need for a better job or to do well in school. Our greatest problem was sin, and Christ dealt with it. Um, it was according to the Scriptures. It was God's plan all along. Christ died for our sin. But if all we had was those five words, it would not be enough. And that's Paul's point in this passage. If all you had was Christ died for our sins, it would not be enough. You would actually still be in your sin. That's, that's Paul's point here. So we have this amazing expression of the gospel, but there's more that's needed. And so what Paul is telling us is that we need more. Um, in this passage, he actually says four things about Jesus. He says that Jesus died he was buried, which is to say he was definitely dead. <laughs> That's the point of including that little piece there. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and then he appeared to many people. And the appeared to many people is to emphasize he was actually raised, right? So, so you have he died, and then something to confirm that, and then he was raised, and some stuff to confirm that, right? And so what he's telling us, the main thing is that the gospel is incomplete without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it didn't work. That's Paul's point. And so those who think that the Christian faith is, is and maybe you bump into to folks like this, who, who think that the Christian message is to be good, to be nice, right? And then something generic about God, right? No, no. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing falls apart. None of it works. It, it, it doesn't matter. And um, that's, it's actually one of the strongest points of proof for this, that, that they, you know, Paul rests everything on the resurrection of Jesus. He makes a huge issue about how important this is. And that's like actually one of the strongest pieces of evidence for the reality of this that he rested so much on this. Um, I had a professor years ago, um, Dr. Habermas, who had kind of invested his career in studying the resurrection of Jesus. And he points out that it's the central claim of Christianity. And you see that through the New Testament. It shows up all over the place. It's the central claim of Christianity. And if it's not true, like, why stake everything on it? But they were willing to say, this is absolutely true and it was within the lifetime of all the folks that could have proved it wrong if it wasn't true and so paul says like this is the most important thing um, the gospel is incomplete without the resurrection so so consider how paul builds his case for that and i want to read um, verse four and following um, christ was buried he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, 
which is another name for Peter, the Apostle Peter. It's a little confusing. Sometimes Peter is called Cephas, sometimes he's called Simon. Uh, there's a verse in John that kind of explains it all. But um, Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning you could go talk to them. If, if you don't take my word for it, go talk to these guys. They're still alive. They're still around. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They've passed away. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Um, how many of you have uh, been to jury duty? How, how, how many of you have ever served on a jury, actually served on one? Quite a few, okay. Um, I, I got to do that a few years ago. I got to do that a few years ago. Um, and uh, it involved sitting for a week, listening to evidence, and listening to some eyewitnesses. Um, in a courtroom setting where it's, it's he said versus he said, you know, what you rely on is eyewitness testimony, right? You can't put it in a test tube and test it usually, right, depending on the case. But, but you, what you need to know if something historically happened is eyewitnesses who were there, who actually got to see it. And so Paul lists a whole bunch of eyewitnesses. If you don't believe me, go talk to them. But it's also interesting that oftentimes... Eyewitness testimony can be skewed if somebody's, like, really biased. Um, There's a couple things that show us this wasn't biased. One is Paul himself. Paul himself was opposed to all of this message, which is what he's saying here. I persecuted the church of God. And now here he is as one of the leading eyewitnesses to this. No, no, he's actually, he actually arose. And Paul's testimony is, Jesus showed up to me, and then from that point on, I was following him. There's not even any explanation of why Paul started following him. It's just he saw Jesus and realized I had it wrong and starts following him. Um, Another aspect of this um, is we know a little more history since when Paul wrote this that all the apostles died for their faith in Christ. So if, if, I mean, if you're carrying out a story you know you got this thing going on and let's let's pretend at some point you know the sword in your face you're gonna go oh yeah i'm just kidding just kidding not really but they died for this claim they genuinely believed this Um, paul goes on to say and this this part's fascinating he goes on to say that if it didn't happen if there is no resurrection the whole thing's worthless None of it matters. Let me, let me read verse 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, it's interesting. Paul is speaking to folks who are apparently in the church, folks who earlier he says, you know, you, you have some kind of belief in this. So it's quite possible these are folks who are, uh, and, and I mean, I, I've encountered these folks, maybe you have, who, who think that Jesus was raised in maybe a kind of a spiritual sense. 
right? It was probably just this, this beautiful metaphor for new life, right? A different kind of life. Paul's like, no, 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 that's, that's, not, how, that's not how it goes. I, I met a guy here recently, um, and I was talking with him, and, and he, was, he was really struggling, not feeling like God really loved him. And, and so he, but he claimed to be a Christian, so I, I asked him, you know, do you, do you genuinely believe the message of the gospel? Ah, uh, I don't know. And so I said, well, hold on. Do you, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And he said, I, I don't know that it actually matters. Right? Does, does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, I think it's just a good message. It's just a good story about God's love for us. And, and what a neat picture that is that he would do that. Um, <laughs> it's just completely missing the point. Right? And that's what Paul's getting at here, is those who claim there is no res- resurrection of the dead, if that's true, then Christ has not been raised, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, it's worthless, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. In other words, we're lying to you. If, if that's the case, we're lying to you. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. What a powerful statement that is. So, so listen, let me summarize this for you. If there's no resurrection, Christ is still dead. If there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain or worthless. Um, your faith is in vain. Christians are lying to you. You still have the sin problem. There's no hope for your loved ones who passed away. And being a Christian stinks. Okay, that's, that's the last one. That's my paraphrase. Um, because why would you do this, right? Jesus promised the world's going to hate you, right? If you follow me, if you represent me well, the world's going to hate you. Why would you sign up for that if it's not true? And so Paul is just driving this message home. But look at the next two verses, verse 20 and 21. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. So what Paul's saying is, if it weren't true, this is such a waste of time. But it is true. And through it came the resurrection of the dead. Jesus brings us the rest of the story, the rest of the gospel. Right? It's not just Christ died for our sins. Need to add a little bit more. Christ died for our sins and rose again so that we can too, right? Christ died for our sins and rose again so that we can too. That's the message of the gospel. And so the resurrection actually matters. It actually really matters for us. Um, I'm going to read a couple verses. 1 Corinthians 6.14 God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Um, Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
And then Romans 10, 9, and, and this is an important one. I, I want you guys to really hear this. Um, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there, there's this confessing, but there's also this believing this part. And what is the specific thing that you need to believe? You need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? That's the crux of the matter. How much is this emphasized? Well, it, it comes down to whether you're saved or not. Right? You have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, I want you to think about this from a personal perspective. How important the resurrection is. Um, it proves the claims of Jesus. That, that's, that's one thing. Jesus went around claiming to be the Son of God... Jesus went around saying that he was going to die and rise again on the third day, which if any of us did, we would just think, you're a raving lunatic, right? But Jesus made these claims and then did it. He actually came back to life, rose from the dead, verifying what he said. Romans 1, 3 through 4 um, points this out, which I did not put in my notes. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Let me just read it for you. It says, this message concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So track the logic there. He's saying that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. How do we know that He is who He says He is? It's by His resurrection from the dead. right? So it's, it's the proof that we get. It's how we know this message is actually true. It's how we know His claims are actually true. For, for many of us, I think that's really, really helpful to know. Like, okay, how do, what, what am I going to rest my, my case on? How, how do I feel confident in my faith in Christ, we can point to the resurrection. And we can say, this historically happened. There's lots of evidence for that. And so I can be confident in this. Um, the second thing is that death is not the end for us. right? We just saw that in several of these passages that we read. Death is not the end for us. And so that's good news for me. <laughs> it's also good news for me concerning when I lose a loved one. Right? When, when someone I know who is a believer in Christ passes away, I get to see them again. Right? It's not the end. We have eternal life. And then the very last thing is that um, at the end of that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where Paul concludes is he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? How do we know that all the stuff that we pour our lives into serving the Lord actually matters? Well, it, it, if it just ends with us dying and then that's it, it, maybe it doesn't matter. But Paul says because of the resurrection, because we will one day be with the Lord forever, all the stuff that we do to serve him matters. All the work that you do in serving the Lord, all the folks that are serving in children's ministry this morning, why are they doing this? Well, it matters. It matters to the Lord. Um, 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up here. Um, and let's, let's just go to the Lord for a moment in prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. Lord, your incredible love for us. That, God, you have, um, Lord, you have not only sent your Son to die for our sins, but, Lord, you have given him new life, raised him back to life, and that you promise that to us as well. Lord, your, your love for us is extravagant. It is amazing to us how much you have shown your love to us. Lord, you are so generous and so good. And we thank you, Lord, for this. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Um, at this time, we're going to um, celebrate communion together. And um, just a few words on that. Um, we are planning on selling, celebrating communion every week. We believe it's a central part of the Christian worship um, of the church. And so um, just a few words. This, this is something that Christians do, right? This is for believers. And we're going to take some bread and, and drink some juice, and that represents the body and the blood of Christ. We do have gluten-free, so, you know, this little sign tells you. Um, but what we're going to do is I'm going to invite everyone to, to um, or in an orderly fashion, come forward. And Dan will play softly for us. Jesus took some bread, and he broke it. He said, um, eat this. Uh, this is my body broken for you.